podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Let us get back to our seats and get all settled down. It's an exciting time in the book of Acts. Chapter 13 marks a new phase, the final phase, all the way to the end of the book of Acts, where the gospel has now left Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now, as Jesus commanded them to take the soul-saving message that changes a person's destiny from eternal destruction to everlasting life to take that message to the world. And it's time to meet the first church to do that and the first missionaries to be sent forth. Lots of wonderful insight to see today. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God, we look to you now We submit ourselves before the voice of the Lord heard through the inspired word of God. We know that men held the pen, but the spirit spoke within. This is your word, God, not the work of anybody on earth, but from the one from heaven. So speak, change us, God. There's a lot of wrong thinking in our minds all the time, and we want to uh, walk in the light. So show us, God, in this beautiful power encounter between good and evil once again we see going on and uh, teach us we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well down at a pastor's conference in LA not too long ago we to, uh, was able to go to Venice Beach because on the way out of town it's close to the airport so had a quick chance to walk the boardwalk there and enjoy some sunshine, which I always love. Sad to say, things have deteriorated there from the Venice Beach of old. The upkeep, the homelessness, the drugs, it's become kind of a seedy place. And uh, maybe most surprising are so many fortune-telling places springing up in tents and shops, psychic shops here and there offering palm reading and fortune telling and tarot cards and necromancy, which is consulting the dead or channeling the departed. So I started a conversation with one guy standing in front of his tent and he was saying, I have healing powers in my hands. Anybody hurting? I've got healing powers in my hands. And then I'm standing there and he goes, may I demonstrate? May I demonstrate? And I said, uh, no thanks. (laughs) I said, I have a power, and the power that I have is in conflict with the power that you have. 
and that made for a very quick conversation. <laughs> and so, yeah, the conversation was over. Uh, clash of powers, good and evil, from the dawn of time. That's what the Bible tells us all about. And that's what we're going to be seeing here as the gospel goes into all the earth. There's always a pushback from the powers of darkness, the powers of good and God and truth and the power of lies and darkness and seduction and deception, pushing back, will always be the story until we see incarnate goodness, God himself face to face, which seems to be coming closer and closer uh, to that day. But until we see Christ, we're going to have that pushback always, and that's what we're going to see. And so after Jesus finished the work that he came to do, dying for the sins of the world upon that cross, he rose from the dead and gave that final command. And he said, go forth with the message that saves people. Come to me, says the Lord, and live forever. All your sins washed away. So uh, 13 chapters and 10 years of church history now that we've been studying, uh, the message has gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and it's time for that last part go into all the earth. And now, as I said earlier, the springboard is there, the diving board, and the two first missionaries are going to be uh, set up by the Holy Spirit and sent forth by the Spirit and the church, and off they go. Just two men against the entire Roman Empire, and within 30 years, the whole place will be evangelized. That's the power of good news to the soul the soul that has been traveling that empty and lonely and frustrating wide road that leads to destruction. When we hear the message of life, we want that narrow road that leads to life and blessing and the cleansing of our consciences. Yes, indeed, it's powerful stuff, but it never happens ever without pushback. And as I've been saying, we're going to see that as we've been seeing. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious people, were against it because they were jealous of the Christian leaders. Now the hard-hearted unbelievers in town didn't want to change. They see the gospel as a threat to their autonomy. In other words, I can't live my own life anymore if I bow the knee to the Lord. And so there's a pushback, right? And even King Herod, he wanted to advance his political career by executing Christians uh, who were most unpopular. But God took care of him, didn't he, last uh, time we saw his, his uh, demise. And so, uh, strange, I have written down here, isn't it strange? The goodness of God, as it's called in the Bible, it's called the goodness of God, is considered bad news by men he's trying to save. So I guess if you don't want to be saved and you you want to remain in your sins and he came to take you away from those sins, uh, yeah, you would consider that uh, not a good thing and push back. Like the men in the passage that we meet, 
The missionaries are going to meet this man. Uh, he doesn't want to be changed because he has healing powers, right? And so uh, God will be working to save souls, and his enemy will be countering and pushing back, and we'll see the clash here on the first stop of the first missionary journey there on the island of Cyprus. Let's meet the missionaries and the man who opposes them. In the church at Antioch, I've been calling it Calvary Chapel Antioch, which is funny because in Antioch, in the Bay, there's a Calvary Chapel <laughs> called Calvary Chapel Antioch. Uh, yeah, so Calvary Chapel Antioch there in modern-day Turkey, there were prophets and teachers. I like to call them the pastors of the church. Here are the five guys. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, that's modern-day Libya, Manaean, who incidentally was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, not the Herod that just died, the Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded, the Herod that met Jesus on Good Friday morning. That wicked man. Those two grew up. Two different paths, obviously. Uh, so one, you know, one's a pastor and one isn't. Uh, and Saul, who will be called Paul, the apostle. Those are the five pastors, let's call them. Uh, while they were worshiping the Lord in the congregation, fasting and, and ministering to the Lord, as it says in the Greek there, the, the, the Holy Spirit said, interesting, Holy Spirit, first person, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Wow. Insight there. Verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is just where we get the things we do. You know, it's like, oh, that's why we do that. Yeah. That's why we do that. It's in the Bible. The two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. More important, you can, some people have been sent by people, you see. But the, the point is, yeah, we send them off, but really it better be the Holy Spirit who's called and equipped and sending. Amen. Uh, they went down to Seleucia, 15 miles to the Mediterranean seaport, and then they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, where they made the first salamis, I don't know. <laughs> yeah knew that or not. I throw that in for free because it's not true. <laughs> and then uh, what a, some services just turn like this. I don't know what, how to explain it. They proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogues first. Makes a lot of sense. John, John Mark, sometimes called Mark, sometimes called John, sometimes called John Mark, that's him, was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came 90 miles from island east to island west to Paphos. Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer, a Cypriot. You know, he grew up in, he's, a, he's from Cyprus, but he's got Jewish DNA. He's a sorcerer and he has healing powers. And uh, he's a false prophet named Son of Jesus, Bar Jesus. Bar in Hebrew is Son of. That's his name. That's what he goes by. It's probably he's trying to counterfeit Jesus. Who? And he was attached, the word in the Greek. He's hanging out. He's, he's an attendant of the governor, senator, council member. He's in charge of Cyprus, Sergius Paulus. 
the governor, let's call him governor, uh, an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. And that's what made him intelligent. Uh, Verse 8, but Elimus the sorcerer, for that's what his name means. So Elimus is from words that mean sorcery. You see, Luke's not calling him Bar-Jesus anymore. Just let's call him sorcerer because that's his name. Uh, Opposed them and tried to turn the governor from getting saved, verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at sorcerer and says, you are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that's right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting, twisting, manipulating the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a season. You'll be unable to see the light of day. Immediately mist and darkness came over him. That's so interesting to me. I mean, did he just see it? Or or could everyone see it? And he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. So much for your power. Verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Just good stuff this morning. Lots of insights here. Once again, the power encounter, clash between good and evil, wrong and right, truth and lies. And God and his adversary, the word in the Hebrew, adversary means is Satan, where we get that terrible name. But the light will always prevail because it says in the word, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, nor shall it ever. You see... Jesus himself is the self-proclaimed light of the world. He calls himself, I'm the light of the world. Wow. If that's not a claim to deity, I don't know what is. He's equal to God in every way, and he's come to illuminate the path so that we wouldn't (laughs) drive in darkness and not see where we're going and right off that proverbial cliff into the abyss, as the Bible calls it. He doesn't want that to happen. So he took the time and effort to become one of us, wrapped himself in human flesh, and came down and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that message goes out, and it always gets a little bit of a pushback. And so the passage divides quite nicely. Uh, Note takers number one. Uh, We meet the missionaries and the spirit that empowers them. And then in verses 4 through 8, we meet the sorcerer or the magician um, and the spirit that empowers him. And then we wrap wrap up with verses 8 through 12 with the moment of truth, the power encounter, the forces of good against the forces of evil. And spoiler alert, God wins. All right. He always wins because you know what the Bible says. There's no plan, no counsel, no strategy that will ever prevail against God. Uh, Though we think that we can pull a fast one here and there and escape his notice or his judgment, it's just not going to happen. So let's meet the leaders of Calvary Chapel Antioch and see how two of them wind up as the very first two missionaries ever sent out. 
Uh, Here's the first opening verses. I like to paraphrase a little bit. Here they are, five names for you. And he goes through that verse too. uh, As they're seeking the Lord in the context, check this out, of the congregation assembled. That's how God works. That's where he calls. That's where he equips. That's where he trains. That's where he molds and shapes and corrects and guides and speaks in a way he doesn't outside of the assembly. So we're going to take a look at that. That's where it happens. Someone gets a burden. Someone knows. They all know what's next. We've got to reach the Roman Empire. And we're the only church. We have to move. How? Lord? Who? Where? So they start fasting and praying and seeking us. Uh, and then they get an answer because when you ask, you shall receive. That's the way God is. Knock and I'll open the door. But uh, sometimes we expect him to just bust in. Sometimes because of his grace, he does. Uh, usually he's saying, come on, come on. Yeah, none of this backseat driving kind of thing. Get behind the wheel and start moving. And I'll direct you. And so that's what this is all about here. Let's take a deeper look. The pastoral team here, as it were. These are the the men that God has put on the platform, if I can call it that. And these men really speak to us about how God calls men to lead the congregation. Number one, they have to be gifted with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you see that they have the gift of prophecy, which means proclaiming God's word, speaking on behalf of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and teaching. They have that gift mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans uh, chapter 12 as well, and 1 Peter 4. These are the gifts. And Ephesians 4, note takers, I know you like those references. And so... Yeah, they have uh, evidence to call uh, by being able to teach and proclaim. There's nothing worse than a self-called minister. The Word of God should never be boring. And you should never, thank you, the one person who's apparently not bored. (laughs) You should never leave scratching your head and saying, what was that about? You should never leave, just kind of wish you would have stayed at home and made waffles. All right, now, now, yeah, everybody has a bad Sunday, everybody, including me. But the guy has to have a pulpit gift. He has to have the ability to get up here and throw it up there and say, this is what it means, here's how to apply it. Simple as that. It's the gifting. And not only that, you can't just desire to be on the platform. Those Five guys just didn't say, hey, I won't be a leader. Though the Bible says that's a noble desire, First Timothy chapter 3, but it takes more than that. Then he lists 15 character qualities that will evidence that God is the one who put it on your heart to be a pastor at that church. And so between character and calling and evidence, then you know, you look at these five guys and everyone in the church goes, yeah, of course, they're our leaders. Let's take a look at them. Here are their names. Barnabas. He's, and, and I like this. This is what you take away here. The blend. See the blend. Blend of the men. Because they all bring something a little bit different 
that the church needs. That's how God puts staffs together. That's how he does it. And so in Barnabas, we've met him before in chapter 4, note takers, uh, but the nicest guy in the world. He has the gift of nice. All right, he is, that was funny, okay? <laughs> I'm just correcting you right now, okay? Uh, let, let, I better slow down and let you hear the humor there. <laughs> Mr. Encouragement is his nickname. His name's Joe, but they call him Barney because he's just everywhere you see him in the Bible 10 times, he's helping. He's being a blessing. So, by the way, he's Jewish DNA, but he grew up in Cyprus, Right? And so he's a Levite and he's generous and he's well to do. That's what we know about him. And so he brings just joy. He brings happiness. He brings a little sunshine. He's Pastor Sunshine. Everybody just likes to hang out with him because you feel better after you hang out with him. You just feel better, not worse. Amen. <laughs> we got some of those. Uh, not on staff that I know about. <laughs> Niger. Niger is from Africa. Uh, they call him Niger, which means the black man. He's from Africa, and he's proud of it. And they're proud of it. And they love that name. And with great affection, they call him the black man, Niger. Now, church history identifies this Simeon uh, from Cyrene uh, as the one who carried Jesus' cross that he carried Jesus' cross 10, 12 years earlier and became a Christian. Uh, and there are ways to kind of, if you're a scholar, you can tie it all together because his sons are named as well in the, uh, the book of Romans and in the book of Mark, of John Mark, you see. Uh, so can you imagine this guy is in, business, uh, in Jerusalem for business, as it seems to say, and suddenly when our Savior collapses beneath the weight of a 75 to 100 pound crossbeam after being up all night and brutalized beyond recognition as a human being, he falls and a Roman says, you, carry it. And he has to take the bloody crossbeam and put it on his shoulder and carry it for the Son of God. He gets to hear things no one else will ever know because it's not recorded. Maybe just for him. And he got some of that blood on his clothing. And it went straight to his heart. And now what he brings is the serious depth of profundity, of seriousness and zeal. When you talk to that guy, you're like, whoa, it's warm, <laughs> you know. So that's what he brings. Uh, and Lucius, another African, you know, the, the church reflected its demographic. That's what churches should do. They should just, they're not trying to, play, to share the gospel with certain people groups. They share the gospel with anybody with a heartbeat, <laughs> right? And, and a church usually reflects the demographic. And they're the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's Rome, Alexandria, Antioch. So you've got Africans there. You've got Italians there. You've got Cypriots there. You've got a mix there. And, 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 and next on the list is Menean. Menean, the mystery of God's providence. Oh, my word. He's born into an aristocratic family, this, this guy. And his childhood buddies 
with Herod. So in other words, they went to the same boarding school or they're, they're rich families that grew up together like that. But the idea is best friends, adopted brother. One man becomes a Christian and a pastor. The other one becomes a killer of Christians. Raised together with the same kind of ideals. Two sons grow up in a Christian family. One wants to serve God and one wants to serve himself in the world. It's called choose this day. Make some choices, man. Paint the picture. How do you want this story to go? And start choosing God or choosing darkness. We all have choices to make. And Manan made some choices. And so did Herod. Finally, Saul, Pastor Paul. And uh, he's seen the light a few chapters ago. And arguably the most intelligent, most gifted, uh, most heroic Christian to ever live. He's the one God is going to use to write the book of Romans, along with 12 other New Testament books, half of the New Testament, this man. So he's on staff, and what does he bring? Profound intellect. He gets up to speak, and everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not so eloquent. He says to the Corinthians, sorry, I'm not as eloquent as the other guys, because they're saying, hey, man, you know, when you speak, sometimes you're not that eloquent. And he says, I admit it. But what I lack in eloquence, the spirit and the anointing is there, is it not? And that's what he has to argue because of those ungrateful Corinthians. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there they are. You know, the beautiful combination made a beautiful uh, fellowship. The first Christian church of Gentiles ever outside the promised land, now feeling the need uh, to reach the world. And so they're in worship and they're moving in the right direction. They're already doing, we can go back to the uh, text, thank you. They're already doing the work. This is how God calls. He calls when we're, we're moving in the right direction. We're already sharing the gospel. We're already showing up to the meetings. We're already praying. We already on occasion fast. And they're fasting here because fasting is kind of um, given to us for special times and seasons of important needs and decisions or uh, powerful things going on in our hearts and lives where we need God to come in and make a breakthrough. So they're, they're sensing, God, we've got to reach the world. It's time. Who do you want to go? How are we going to do that? So they, 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 they're in the midst of the congregation. They're praying and fasting. And no doubt, how did it start? No doubt Paul and Barnabas had a burden. It starts with the burden. It, it just doesn't come out of nowhere. God just doesn't say, hey, do you, at, at, you know, what, what, do you want to go and serve the Lord in Jordan? No. You've been already on the streets in Santa Rosa sharing the gospel because you care about souls no matter where they are. And then suddenly you, you're, you, know, you hear a song or somebody talks about it or you see a picture of the Middle East and you start feeling that thing and that's how it works. You're already doing the thing. You're feeling it. You're feeling drawn and now it's time to get confirmation which God will always gladly give. Always as we seek him. And that's what they were doing. And so... Uh, I, one writer said, Paul and Barnabas wasn't, weren't out doing their own thing when God called them to do his thing. 
you see. They were already doing his thing. They just needed some details, right? And so the specific marching orders come while they're singing, while they're fellowshipping, while they're drinking the coffee and praying for one another. All of this is happening, and then God speaks. The Holy Spirit speaking first person. It's Paul and Barnabas that I need. Set them apart for me, for the work that I'm calling them to. Who are you, Holy Spirit? He's God. The Father's God, the Son's God, the Holy Spirit's God. The Father initiates. Jesus executes. The Spirit facilitates. The three are one. And no one will ever be able to fully grasp that until we see the three in one in person. And that day is coming to a neighborhood near you. Uh, rather quickly. So notice the words here we can learn from this. He says the Holy Spirit, God, God says, I want those two to be separated to me. Oh, that's interesting. Now, so in other words, they got to leave when God calls you. In a general way, you do always have to leave one thing for another and consecrate, that's the word to separate ourselves, body, soul, and spirit over to God, right? And so they must leave one thing for another. They got to separate themselves from secular pursuits, personal agendas, their dream. It's always been my dream to fill in your blank, but God says, I want you to make it your dream too. And then he gives you the burden. There might be a little wrestling, but usually when God gives it to you, it becomes your dream, and now you dream that dream, you see. But a lot of people aren't open to his dream. They have their own dream, and they want God to bless their dream, and sometimes he will. He's like, okay, I'll I'll bless your dream. It wasn't exactly mine for you. (laughs) But you weren't open to it, so yeah, sorry. What about their careers, their families? Their mom, who was sitting on the front row. What about Mrs. Uh, Skiles, Jordan's mom? I'm just thinking of these missionaries that are playing out right now in front of us. What about them, their comforts and their conveniences? Yeah, they're important, but only as they fit in with the calling of God. David Guzik, you can't really say yes to God's call on your life until you can say no to things that will keep you from that call. One last thing before we move forward. Notice which of the five he chooses. I'm sorry to say this, but not the three we never hear from again. He chooses the most significant ones and leaves the three that we don't ever hear anything and know pretty much nothing about. Why does he do that? How did that feel to the church? Hey, we're taking, God wants Mr. Encouragement and the smartest Christian on the planet, the writer of scripture. We're taking him and the happy guy. (laughs) Well, a lot of commentators have things to say about this. Um, It was John Phillips who said that would have been like cutting off an arm or a leg. Who's going to fill that gap, right? And the answer to that is the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And they will rise to the occasion. And they better to have an inconvenience or the lesser thing in God's will than be convenienced and happy outside of God's will. Right? Did that make sense? 
Thank you again. Second shout out. John Stott said this, God's calling sometimes are hard to understand and uncomfortable. The verbs used to underscore this, the church is called to, in the Greek, release them, dismiss them, or let them go. Wow. Men who are well-loved, useful to the church, must now move forward and comply with the sovereign call and will of God. Verse 4. Off we go. So just summing it up again to be fresh in our minds at the direction of God's spirit, off they go. They sail to Cyprus, verse 5, first stop there. They go, they, they go into the, the Jewish synagogues there. Um, why reinvent the wheel? You, you want to talk common sense? Because God kind of calls in common sense ways. You know, common sense here is why Cyprus? Well, one guy's from there. He knows that he has connections there. He has family. He speaks the dialect. He knows how to get there. He knows his way around. Common sense. There are some common sense ways that God leads us. And that's what we see uh, going on here. And so the first stop, uh, they're going to go to the Jews. Common sense. There's a foundation there. They're Cypriots who've been raised to know and love the Old Testament. They already know Genesis. They already know that God. They already know there's one God, not many gods. Oh, the people of Cyprus worship. They already know Isaiah and all of the prophets. So all they need to do is go into the place, common sense, where Barnabas is from and perhaps grew up in this synagogue, where they walk in and Barnabas says, hello again, Mr. Goldstein. You know, these are Jews. All right. <laughs> The name gave it away. <laughs> it's so good to see you all again. Greetings from a fellow Cypriot and a Jewish brother and a Jewish brother, Paul. And they would say, brother, share with us. Do we have good news? Turn with me in your scrolls to Isaiah 53, brothers. And then he would read. He would read. Um, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And they know they're talking Messiah. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Messiah, Messiah in uh, Hebrew, the iniquity of us all. Brothers, we found him. His name is Yeshua. The Lord saves. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. He's the God-man. And he had to lay down his life so that we could come to know him. We've been estranged by our sins. And then they have 299 other scriptures in their own book, right in front of them, on their laps or whatever, to say, look, 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 look. So why would they go out to somebody who doesn't know anything? God of creation, the story of the flood, nothing. No prophets, no psalms. These guys were already singing King David psalms. So of course, and this will be the pattern. And it's smart. Start, with, start first with somebody who's got a foundation. Just don't reinvent the wheel when you don't have to. So on every missionary stop, they go first to the Jews because they're like halfway there. They just need the last piece of the puzzle, which is the engine that makes the car 
run. And so, yeah, it's an important piece of the puzzle. It does say there, and I do want to talk a little bit about John Mark. He's their helper. The word means under rower, the galley and the belly of the ship where the slaves would be to make the ship go forward was called the helper, the servant, the slave. Now, he was there to do things that the, uh, the, to make the load lighter, cooking, preparing, finding the food, doing the accounting, setting up, tearing down, cleaning up. That's what he was supposed to be doing, and he is Barnabas's nephew. Colossians chapter 4 tells us that. Now, do you notice he's not mentioned in the church service? Where's the fasting and praying and the church sent the three of them out? No, the Holy Spirit sends two out. The Holy Spirit chose two and they chose John Mark. That's why it's in there like, oh, did I forget to mention John Mark's along? He's a stowaway apparently, but you know, he didn't get named. And there's a reason for that because he's not going to be a helper. He's going to be a liability. He's going to go home to mommy. He's going to leave them high and dry and make Paul not want to ever take him again. And that's going to cause a huge fallout between two men of God. He's young. He's inexperienced. And the reason why you bring young guys who are deacons, who are young adult kind of guys, along is because they're stronger. They're more agile. They have more energy. And they need to learn coming under and serving and being subordinate in that way that God works and molds their character. But this guy, this guy, it doesn't pan out. It doesn't pan out. And so he, he caves in. He has stronger arms, but he has weaker character. And uh, spoiler alert. The way he responds after his misstep, he becomes a Bible hero. It's the best ever turnaround redemption story in the entire Bible. But it all depends on the John Mark. It all depends on the John Mark. Lots of us have spiritual wipe-ups. Whoops! Left the team high and dry, and now his name and his reputation, it's like, oh yeah, John Mark. Call on him when you need something <laughs> not important, you know. <laughs> but it's how you respond in those times that will either put you on a course to become a hero or somebody we never really hear about again. But we do hear about John Mark. Spoiler alert. Mark's gospel, anyone? Yeah. Matthew, Mark. John Mark, loser, winner. Why? Because he got up and he said, that's not me. Use me, God. Mature me. Spent a little too much time on John Mark, but that's what I've been known to do. Verses 6 and 7, they go 90 miles. Did I show you the picture yet? So that's uh, modern-day Turkey up there, these, these things, yeah. And they go the 15 miles, and then boom, off to this side of the island. That's where they did the Jewish thing, and now they're preaching the gospel all along the island. They go 90 miles here. This is the size of the, the main island of Hawaii, 
by the way, if that helps. I think I said that already. Uh, probably first service. And then uh, right there, okay? This is where they run into the governor and the sorcerer. And that's uh, what's coming up here in a second here. So, yeah, uh, there they are. Uh, and uh, they meet the sorcerer. He appears first, though they probably met the proconsul first. And so he's called son of Jesus. Let's talk about him there at verses 6 and 7 there. Uh, Right up the devil's alley uh, to have an imposter saying, hey, I'm the way of salvation. He says, I'm the son of salvation. I'm the son of Jesus. He probably took that name on because Jesus is well known or Christians now are are making that name out there. And so the devil loves to, to disguise himself as an angel of light. This is the son of Jesus, right? Uh, and uh, that's what it says in the Bible. Second Corinthians 11 says that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light and so too his workers. I've got healing power to help you. And uh, yeah, they don't always look like trolls under a bridge, okay? In fact, the devil likes people with perfectly shiny uh, teeth and uh, the appearance that is attractive and all of this. That's how he does his work. And, you know, so uh, just like that's why the devil works through people who he wants to impact like the governor, like this governor I'm talking about. I don't know where (laughs) (laughs) and other governors, maybe. Uh, Yeah. And uh, celebrities. Who do you think's channeling them a little bit of help along the way? Uh, the bar Jesus is helping out there. And so, yeah, he's called a false prophet. This is important because he's Jewish and he knows the Jewish scriptures. <clears throat> and he's mixing the Jewish scriptures with deception and saying, thus says the Lord. That's what the commentators say. That's why you would be called a false prophet and not just a sorcerer, you see. So he's representing, he's saying, this is the truth. I'm a Jew. I know the scriptures. I know about Judaism. But he puts a spin on it to where it's false, which is what the devil always does. Here's what he does. He takes a little truth and some lies, puts them together, because nothing goes down smoother as a lie than something with a little truth in it, i.e. Mormonism, i.e. Jehovah's Witnesses, i.e. Christian science, i.e. Seventh-day Adventism, i.e. Catholicism. They all use the Bible. And then with a lot of misconstrued ideas and false ideas. Otherwise, you'd throw it out as crazy. But you get confused because there's, hey, wait a second, that's true, that's right in the Bible. But they spin it. And that's what he's doing here. And he's attached himself to this guy. He's like, uh, he's on the board there in the governor's mansion. And when the governor has a problem, he turns to bar uh, Jesus. And But it says the governor is smart, verse 7. He's intelligent. He's tired of Aphrodite and the worldly uh, superstitions. And, uh, you know, he says he's intelligent, the Bible says, because he wants to hear the truth. So you may not be an academic uh, genius. You may not be good at math. But the Bible describes intelligence as a a spiritual hunger. 
that you see past all of this stuff to what's really important. And so let the battle begin here. He's coming to the light, verse 8 here. Uh, the governor sends there for the real sons of Jesus. You see Paul and Barnabas and uh, Elimus, and uh, he's going to oppose them. No, so Satan is whispering to motivate his boy. He's really, you know, son of the devil, as we're going to hear. You're going to lose your job, man. You're going to lose it. You're going to be replaced by those two Jews, Paul and Barnabas. I say goodbye to the lavish uh, meals at the governor's house and all your friends in high places. Say goodbye to that. Because he's going to get saved. And you're just sitting there? Come on, man. Get in between them. Now, you know, it's not a good idea to get in between God and somebody he's trying to save. It's really not smart. And so what is he doing? The word oppose means to like uh, contradict, to distract, to laugh, to scoff, to mock. He's interrupting them. Paul is like, hey, listen, man. Listen, Jesus loves you. And he's like, yeah, Jesus loves you. And he's doing that stuff, right? Rolling his eyes. And then verse 9, then Saul, who goes by Paul, and by the way, will never be called Saul again. This is it to the end of the book. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's important. And he looks directly at the sorcerer and says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, and we aren't here to judge you, okay? <laughs> well, that's not what he says, is it? I, that's not what I read. You're a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Are you ever going to stop this nonsense of twisting God's word and sending people in the wrong uh, direction? Let's talk about this here, moment of truth, the power encounter. Some moments in life, you, it's not the time to pull punches or to beat around the bush or to mince words. you got to say it, even though everything in you says, oh, man, I'm going to offend them. Oh, man, I'm going to make life hard for me right now. I'm going to incite violence? Well, you've got to say it. If God, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's the key, this is how we know that Paul isn't having a little uh, tirade in the flesh and loses cool because he's full of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible wants you to know this isn't an emotional outburst of name calling. First of all, it's true. You're mas sir, you're masquerading yourself calling yourself son of Jesus, when in fact, you're, if you want to know the truth, you're not the son of Jesus, you're the son of the evil one. Which is true. And how is he ever going to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved if someone doesn't tell him that? So it's the loving thing to do, is to speak the truth in love. Now, we use verses like this to kind of justify sometimes when we lose it, and then we're in the flesh, and then we, we, we need to repent. And But see, how, how do you know the difference? God will tell you. God will tell you, uh, that was off. You lost your cool. You shouldn't have been in attack mode like that. You need to repent and apologize. He'll do that. But this time, Paul is not needing to apologize. He does ask people to pray for him. He, he asks the Ephesians to say, pray for me. It's hard to be bold. It's hard to tell people uh, truth that they don't want to hear. That makes them mad. That makes them want to cancel you. 
right? Yeah. It's hard. That, that, oh, well, we're not coming to Thanksgiving if that's your attitude. Well, it's not my attitude. You just asked me a question and I just answered it the best I can. I love you and all of that. You try that. But if somebody asks you, like Larry King, when he was alive, and he was a very popular interviewer, millions of people watching him every night. He has a very famous pastor from Texas who, 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 who preaches with an open Bible, holding a Bible. He calls himself a Christian pastor. And here's the question, pastor, I'm Jewish, Larry King says. If I don't receive Jesus, some Christian pastors tell me that I'll go to hell. That concerns me because I have no intention of asking Jesus to save me because I'm Jewish. Here's his answer. He says, is that right? And he goes, well, Larry, I don't know. You can look it up. Look it up. It's all over YouTube. I don't know. It's not my place to say who goes to heaven or hell. That's what he tells him. He's asking you. Am I going to hell if I don't know the one way of Jesus? And, and uh, the angels in heaven and everybody's looking at you, the spotlight comes on you because their souls are hanging in the balance and you, for the sake of your convenience and comfort and popularity, are going to risk them perishing for the sake of viewership? Dear God in heaven, have mercy on us all. Let us rise to the occasion. And he asked them another question. Is homosexuality a sin? Not anything else, how we treat gay people with rights and dignity and all of this and how Jesus comes in and loves everybody the same. But when he does come in, he raises us to a new life that is in keeping with the commands of God. That wasn't the question. The question was, just tell me flat out, is it right or wrong? Well, Larry, I don't know. And that's a really good imitation of him, by the way. <laughs> just, just check it out, okay? That's how he sounds. And I just want to reach through the phone and say, you don't know? You're a Christian pastor with thousands of people sitting there. The God is watching and listening. Oh, my word, people, listen. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. And I'll tell you what, you're, you're like, if I tell the truth, then listen, you want that. You want that thing. You tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may because every time you tell the truth, I promise you, no matter what it looks like, the Bible says hearts will be set free. That's it. That's it. That's what has to happen. So we can wrap up here, really. Um, he, he tells him the truth. You're really going down the wrong uh, road. And uh, down, he pronounces the judgment. Love this. And it's so merciful. And it's so redemptive. And it's so loving. Believe it or not. He says, for a season, you're going to be blind. But maybe off camera, off record, he says, but no worries. Guess what? This is how I got saved. God's going to do the same thing that saved me to you. And so all depends on how you respond. The way I responded, I, things went dark. I had to be held by the hand like you are. But then I saw the light. And sometimes that's what God does. He turns off the power. 
because of the consequences of our stupidity and our sin so that we can see the light because when we got the world by the tail, we're not interested in the light. We're walking in the light. So he tones that down in the mist and the scales, they come and Paul's saying, man, do it. Turn and become a real bar, Jesus. Right. And so it's not as uh, harsh as it may sound. And I love the PS there of verse 12. Paul and Barnabas win the prize. They get the trophy because the soul of Sergius Paulus is the trophy that's still shining in the halls of heaven. They won. And how did it go for Sergius? He said, I'm a total believer. I'm amazed at what? This, I'm amazed. You called down darkness. And he, the guy at your command went blind. Oh my word, I want in. I'm amazed at the power. What does it say? He was amazed at the teaching. Of, this is what he's saying. That was amazing. Wow. But what's really amazing is the witness of the truth that there's a God in heaven who sees me created me and loves me. That's amazing. Let's pray, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness, God. And there's there's so many things that are so easy to see in church and say at church. And then when we're out there and we are facing uh, the clash and the powers, the struggles that we tend to buckle, God, give us moral fortitude and the will to speak your truth and love to learn from these passages God in Jesus name Amen You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California If you'd like to learn more please visit our website at cctherock.org